With thanks to Baileys, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives, all while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Yomir Degoke, your host for season three of the Women's Prize podcast. And this is one of three very special book club editions where we're exploring the 2021 Women's Prize shortlist. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Women's Prize podcast. For today's book club, I'm joined by three amazing guests, author, speaker and life coach Michelle Ellman, who's the force behind the Scarred Not Scared campaign and the author of The Joy of Being Selfish. Author, journalist, TV presenter and founder of Make Motherhood Diverse, Candice Brathwaite. And topping off this list of incredibly talented people is Caleb Azuma Nelson, a writer and photographer whose recent debut, Open Water, is both a beautiful love story and a meditation on race and masculinity. They're all here to discuss, compare and contrast two of the brilliant books from the Women's Prize shortlist, our very own book club where you can learn more about the titles selected for this year's prize and hopefully get reading some of them if you haven't already. This episode, we'll be diving into Yagyasi's Transcendent Kingdom, An Unsettled Ground by Claire Fuller. Spoiler alert, if you have not read these books, we are going to be revealing some of the plot points and twists. Hi, everybody. I hope that you guys are good today. How are you feeling, Candice? I am, I'm okay. I'm just okay. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to do that thing of like, oh, yeah, I'm gr- oh, so great. Da-da-da. No, it's a bit mad. Like trying to come back into this work life and the world being slightly open, it's got me feeling a little bit anxious, if I'm honest. Hmm. Can definitely relate to that. And mm. Caleb? I think I'm I'm about the same. Um, trying to like emerge back into the world while also still doing like book publicity is such a strange feeling and I'm just trying <laughs> to enjoy it. Mm. Thank you. And Michelle, how are you doing? I'm more on the overwhelmed end. Like a lot of my work disappeared in the pandemic and it all came back the moment the world opened up. So <laughs> I'm juggling a lot of plates. That's not the phrase. Juggling a lot of balls <laughs> um, and trying to keep them up in the air and make sure nothing drops at the moment. Good. I mean, it's better, I suppose, to have more to do than absolutely nothing to do. I mean, yes, after five months of boredom, I'm actually right. excited <laughs> for it. <laughs> Okay, so I want you guys to tell me about your experience reading these two books concurrently. What was your initial reaction to both? And Michelle, can you tell me how you felt? Yeah, so I definitely gravitated more towards Transcendent Kingdom. I don't tend to read sad books, so I think Unsettled Ground was very hard for me to get into. But then about midway through the book, it kind of gets a rhythm and then you're kind of in that world. You accept that it's a like sad world. And then I really enjoyed the ending of it. Um, but they were they were both books that I probably wouldn't have picked up myself. And that's why I found them so interesting. And it really both books really make you think about life and very existentially or at least that's how I found I um received both those books thank you and how about you Caleb um I was I was lucky enough to read Transcendent Kingdom last year um and so this time round was like kind of looking out the things I may have missed before um I think I agree with Michelle like both novels are very existential and make you make you sort of think about like who you are and your place in the world um 
I really enjoyed Unsettled Ground in in the world that it created and the world that it built and it's really immersive. I think with Transcendent Kingdom it was a much more like personal sort of read because of the like the characters all have this Ghanaian heritage that I share. And so I was really interested in that and looking out for things that I could relate to. Thank you. Candice, reading the books at the same time, did you feel like they felt removed from each other or did you feel like there were, you know, shared themes and that they spoke to each other at all? I I do feel like they uh, definitely had shared themes because it's really not their selling point or it doesn't seem so, but the theme of motherhood really comes out strongly and also how um, how mothers deal with their lives and like the lies they may tell or the way they want to protect Mm. their lives or the way they want to protect their children. I felt that really strongly from both books, even though, and I was so shocked to find this, I gravitated more towards unsettled ground Mm. because like Caleb was saying, um, well, my partner is Nigerian. There was just so many similarities that I was expecting in Transcendent Kingdom. So none of it felt new to me. And at times actually, some of it felt quite triggering especially the elements around church and the bible and like having to position yourself to be this uber perfect christian all the time i was like oh my god triggered whereas unsettled ground is written so well it was almost like being in two different worlds at the same time because if it wasn't for moments like say Julius pulling out his mobile phone um unsettled ground really does start in a way where you think like what well what era am I reading like Mm -hmm. what age is this book set in it was done really really well and I was really um pleasantly surprised with unsettled ground love transcendent kingdom I just feel like I know so many of the themes so well but like you were saying that is not the point of the question yes they mirror each other very well when it comes to the the difficulties that can arise just trying to be the best mother in the circumstances that you find yourself Mm. thank you Candice and our (laughs) our first book that we will be discussing is actually Transcendent Kingdom by Yar Gyasi Caleb, sorry to pick on you. <laughs> Could you briefly, because you have the least hesitation, I think, in terms of rounding it up. So could you please briefly explain what this book is about to our listeners? Um, yes, yeah, so Transcendent Kingdom tells the story of, of Gifty in the first person. She is is exploring her family history, a group of four, so her mum, her dad and her brother who moved from Ghana to Alabama to to the South of America um, and really explores the loss that the family has endured. The, their father moved back to Ghana and, um, and you quickly find out that her brother developed an opioid addiction um, and also passed away after an injury. Um, and it, it really is just her and her, her mum who is suffering from depression while Gifty is really trying to to work through her own ambition, she's a scientist and is trying to explore addiction from more from a, a science based point of view, and in turn trying to understand her brother and where that that loss that loss emerged from. Thank you, Michelle. How did you feel about Transcendent Kingdom? I kept forgetting this wasn't a memoir, like especially in the beginning, I had to actually keep reminding myself that this is a fiction story because it was just so well written. 
that I felt really absorbed into it. I think for me, it was, you know what? It really reminded me of this quote from The Fault in Our Stars that I think has always stayed in my mind because I really relate to it, where um, the main character is going through illness and she says that she, she compares herself to a grenade and that at some point she's going to blow up and she wants to minimise the casualties around her. And it was almost like that, but with addiction, it was like Mm -hmm. the aftershock of how addiction impacts all the people surrounding that person who is the addict. Mm. Um, And I thought the the metaphor of the mouse was really interesting and how um, it's almost like that wounded mouse. And I kept feeling for that wounded mouse and the jumps between the relationship with her mum and the conversations of religion and then... um, just seeing a woman in STEM was amazing. Um, I just, I felt so many things while I was reading it. (laughs) Thank you. And Candice, you've already kind of touched on the fact that you felt it was in many ways triggering, but I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested to sort of hear more about the other themes that potentially might have, you might have felt were triggering or sort of, um, you know, really personally resonated. Um, definitely across the board, the theme of addiction, addiction has been really prevalent in my family. So seeing that played out was yet unsettling, but also true. But, um, to see it played out against this backdrop, right, of this black boy who is only held in high regard for his sporting ability. And like the minute he doesn't want to do that in one sense, or the minute that injury means he cannot do that. Yeah. how he kind of just falls by the wayside. Um, I've read this book twice now. And the first time I was very much like, mm, you didn't give me what you were supposed to give. And then <laughs> rereading it the second time, I was actually, no, you weren't seeing what you were supposed to see. Because mm-hmm. when you do read it um, with a, a kinder eye and a wider field of vision, there are so many undercurrents to the story. It's like, yes, there's the immigrants, but the, it, the immigrant theme, but it's also um, highlighting and telling the story, um, a story that I don't think is told enough of the black women usually left to shoulder the brunt of such an immigrant story. Like, I don't know, I've lost count of the amount of um, families I know that are held up by a woman where the man has just been like, I want to go back to my home country or this isn't working or I'm now going to go off and find five wives. I don't see that a lot. And Mm. to see like Gifty's mum portrayed in that way and for it was like watching um, a Jenga building go up and you thinking at what moment is this going to come crashing down? And I think there was a silent understanding that I've forgotten his name, but her brother's character, Nana, that Nana was going to save the day, right? Because that's the expectation. Black, good at athletics, he's going to come through. And when he succumbs to his addiction, I'm just like, OMG, like, where do we go from here? And to watch Gifty's mum, in my opinion, quote unquote, waste away. Yeah, it was very deep. See, I'm just getting Mm. carried away with the story now. (laughs) (laughs) But we're loving it. That's the thing. We're loving it. So did you guys connect to any of the characters in particular? And also, were there any characters that you weren't really vibing with? And I'm going to take this question to Michelle. I think I related most to Gifty and 
it's I'm a life coach and I find it very hard to separate that part of my brain and uh, the word that comes to mind is parentification when you're forced to be a parent too young and whilst I didn't really have that I definitely felt like because of my own medical trauma I had to grow up too young and I kind of my heart was just like when she was in uni I was like you're meant to be having a uni experience and Mm. you're just so you're so wise for your age but in a way that's like you should be able to be fun right now and because you have so many I don't want to say burdens but so many um things going on in your life you don't get that freedom to be free and to be a child and to be a teenager who's just enjoying enjoying their uni experience that all of that um childhood almost got taken away from her thank you and Caleb I would say it was between Nana and Gifty Nana more so because I I share like some of that history I used to I used to play a lot of basketball and had a very like similar injury and also had to take like really extreme painkillers for about a month before you're told you can't take those anymore. Um, Mm. And seeing what kind of effect like having constant pain has on the people around you um, and watching what your parents or in particular, my, my mother had to do in order to keep our family going and together. Um, but then also with with Gifty, I think there was this, you know, there was this responsibility that was placed on her that I recognise as as like a an oldest child in a in a large family, um, whereby she just had to grow up, she had to be older, she had to keep it together. Um, and I think it's only later in her in her life is she able to kind of like try and try and unpick that life and try and find answers to the to these questions like why did this happen to to her why did this happen to their family Mm. thank you so much and Candice what characters did you resonate with or not resonate with I think across the board all three of them in in my real day-to-day life I am a mother so I can I can completely empathize with Gifty's mother's experience Um, When it comes to Nana, so it's a combination with Nana and Gifty because I am the eldest child, but I am the eldest, I'm the eldest child and I'm a daughter and I'm black. Like there are levels to that. And when I find when you are the eldest black daughter, the expectation for you to keep everyone afloat or everything swimming along nicely is really, really high. And that fell on Nana's and Gifty's shoulders at different points. And there was actually, this is really strange, uh yes he succumbed to his addiction and I know it's meant to be sad there was like a soft exhale when Nana did actually die because I was like um there is there is a freedom in that no one wants to die young but also um the weight of expectation in that character's day-to-day life that can become a lot And who's to say if that story went a different way, maybe, you know, he did end up being that basketball player or whatever. The expectation on Nana to hold it down for his mum and in some ways for Gifty would have been unreal and maybe would have forced him into an addiction of a different sort at a different time. It's mad to say that, but my mind just thinks that way. I actually very much understand what you're saying. And in many ways, I think I agree. How did you feel about this book's portrayal of motherhood and family in particular as a mother, Candice? 
Mm, I feel it was really honest and it's not something you get to see in fiction a lot. We're seeing it more in nonfiction, but in fiction, you don't get to see it a lot. Um, yeah, I thought it was honest. I thought it was raw. That didn't make it any less sad because it's like in many unspoken ways, how much and in spoken ways, how much did Gifty's mum have to give up in order to um, hold it down, quote unquote, while dad's like swanned off to go and live his best life back home. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I, I think that it, it was a, a really honest portrayal. It, it, even though it is fiction, I can't say that any of that is pretend because I've seen that in, in many families. Thank you. What did you, and this you is Caleb, think of Gifty's mum's expectations on her kids. And I suppose, how do you feel that they compare to like the stereotypical perceptions of what immigrant parents are and what they expect? Uh, it's so like, I've been thinking more and more about like this, I, this idea of expectations that immigrant parents have on their on their children. I think in the book, it was really realistic. It was like very honest, like parents want their children to make something of themselves, to become something that that they can hold, that's stable, that that will like last. Because so often parents have, have like moved from one place to another and tried to make a home and have really struggled. Um, and I know that it, it comes from a place of love, right? It comes from like, I from a parent saying, I want you to be okay. Like, I don't know how long I will be here and present for you. So I want you to be okay if you can, if you were on your own. But so often as in in the book, it can manifest in very like warped ways and kind of quite destructive ways. Um, and it gets to the point where the relationship between parent and child really begins to suffer. Mm-hmm. So I just want to quickly take it back to what Candice was saying about Nana's you know, the conclusion to Nana's story. And I'm interested in whether the rest of you think that there was a sense of, I suppose, inevitability about Nana's story, or whether it was just, you know, I mean, I suppose just a sense of sadness. Michelle, what do you think? I think she's really right. That's exactly what I thought as well. And that um, there's a lot of um, guilt when someone dies, when you do feel that sense of relief, because... Mm -hmm it's not supposedly the appropriate reaction. But a lot of people, whether that person's going through illness or just so much mental suffering, that at least they've found peace. Or even personally, the the person who has to deal with that addiction, well, at least I don't have to deal with it. And I think it's okay to have those feelings at the same time as missing Mm -hmm. and grieving a loved one. That grief involves all emotions and I think that's what was portrayed in this was that it was almost left unsaid but it was there that actually it was kind of easier in a way not easier that's probably not the right way to I mean talking about grief is always quite clumsy but it's like we we have such a narrow vision of grief usually that I thought this book brought the different elements to it and that it's okay if you don't have perfect grief if that even is a thing absolutely agree and how about you Caleb I think the that portrayal of the the addiction and um kind of leading towards like Nana's eventual death it was it was really sad and very heartbreaking because it felt inevitable um both in terms of of the narrative and also receiving that as a reader um 
and I did wonder whether whether I was like I, it just it's there's a sense of peace on the other side of that um but what then happens to the people who are left behind what happens to to Gifty and her mother um and you see how that survival begins to manifest as Gifty sorts of, sort of goes on this on this journey in which she she dedicates her life to looking at addiction in order to find some sort of answer some sort of peace hmm. thank you um so i'm not sure how much any of you had sort of read about the opioid addiction crisis in america prior to reading the book but i'm interested in how you felt the book highlighted and sort of portrayed it specifically through nana's addiction um candice i know you sort of touched on that already but i just like to yeah. hear you speak about it further yeah, I don't think the um I don't think it really went into depth around mm. how crippling um opioid addiction was at that time. And in a lot of ways still is. We just don't mm-hmm. hear about it, but that's a different story. Um and maybe that was the point of the book because um we have got far too um good and in another way bad at lumping all addicts together and Mm. so I think there was a point to not really ham up how bad opioid addiction was at the time because it's like Gifty saying no we have to take Nana's story for what it is and I Gifty is telling us this story um through her eyes and looking solely at her brother and so I would think that maybe really going into depth about what the opioid crisis was like at the time might have taken away from us really um, deeping Nana's story on its own. So I don't think it did. Uh, I want to I sit here and be like, oh, it didn't do a very good job at educating us. But that's not the point of the story, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 decision was made with good intent. Mm. Thank you so much. And what do you think, Michelle? I think it, it gives the human element because anytime, even the phrasing of opioid crisis, you almost dehumanize it by that term. And so taking one person's story of being affected by it just adds that more human element. And anytime I've heard anyone talk about the opioid crisis, it's this message of, but they should have had more willpower or like the implication of it. They might not say that exactly, but like, well, why didn't you just take the recommended dose? Why did you, you knew you were taking more when it's not so much about personal responsibility when these drugs are designed to have that reaction within your brain. Um, And so I think when you put so much personal responsibility, there's so much shame around it and there's so much, um, the person who is going through it feels like they aren't good enough because they can't resist something that's quite chemical. But then also the people around it that they like even the shame around addiction in general. And I think that whilst it wasn't talked about directly, it does put all these thoughts in your brain about all the things that you've heard versus what it actually is like when a person is going through it. And it it's bringing it back down to that individual element as opposed to thinking about it as like a societal issue Mm, thank you so much another theme that the book touches on is or at least represents is masculinity and you know the sort of I suppose different expectations of manhood in Ghana versus Alabama and I'm interested in how you guys felt reading that and what your thoughts were on those representations let's start with you Caleb 
it was it was so interesting seeing this um this very specific Ghanaian man in um in the father figure who I know and recognize because that could have been one of my uncles in that way in which uh, a man will happily just be like this isn't working out I'm going to go back home to where I'm more comfortable mm-hmm. and will and will leave his family his family behind and will just make that decision on his on his own in his own sort of stead and not think about the consequences of that um I think so often in relation to like thinking about Gifty's mother, like her her choice was removed there, and but her choice was always her children. It, it was her family. Whereas the father figure was kind of thinking more of himself. In his absence, Nana then kind of took on that helm in a sense and really absolved all of that that pressure. Um and it becomes it becomes difficult when you think about when you think about how that that works within like a systemic sort of way that that sort of pressure that that comes from the first decision that all of the family made to move from Ghana to Alabama to make something better of themselves to the decision to then for the father figure to go back and be like I actually I I can't do this um from Nana kind of being like, okay, well, this is now this is now my responsibility to hold. It made me really think, like, what are these roles that are placed upon both men and women? Like, what system are we working in that means that men and women take on these roles and then so often fail them? Um, in in the case of men, because they kind of assume, okay, well, you know, this is my responsibility to bear this is my thing to hold up onto and so often they can't it's it's too much but only because we're thinking or they and, and me included are thinking of masculinity as this very narrow thing and this very kind of like specific gender thing where we need to rethink the family structure as a whole mm, definitely this book definitely is one that makes you think deeply i think um candice when you sort of spoke to the idea especially of um you know uh, within African culture or specifically within our community often of men deciding that if something's not working out you know is they take essentially take it upon themselves often to remove themselves from the situation and as Caleb mentioned remove the choice of the women in their lives um how did you feel when reading those representations of masculinity especially as somebody who's you know you've as you mentioned seen that in real life I felt I felt sad that that still um, in in a lot of ways, our truth, right? Yeah, you know, the media works hard to erase um, black nuclear families, and mm. but also there are many black men who erase themselves. That's still a thing. There are many men mm. across the board of race who erase themselves. I right. found it really in my mind. I found it interesting, and I'm having to do this in my real life to understand that actually the most masculine character in that book was Gifty's mum facts she absolutely again like tried to keep everything up and in order and present as this person that if we're looking at society standards would be the masculine person in the framework of that story and then to see uh, moments between say Nana and Gifty's mum like when uh, Gifty's mum literally had to bathe Nana when he was like a teen well old enough to wash himself Mm. I'm like there were such blurred lines between the masculine and the feminine. And again, I think that's done with purpose because it's like, 
can we continue to use this very archaic example of what is masculinity and what is femininity? I just don't think it's going to fly anymore. And so to see Gifty's mum represented as the most masculine one made a lot of sense to me because again it just represents what I see a lot of in my community but also then left room for me personally to think about um how do I allow the men in my life to come across as feminine could I care for a male in the way that Gifty's mum cared for Nana regardless of me being the mother right it's like are we giving men that room to come across as feminine in the sense of needing help depending on admitting weakness or there was even like I'm saying seen like it's a film but there was even a moment in there where you know Nana's on the bus and he's like like I do not want to do this anymore hmm. like that's that's very that is what's positioned as very feminine energy you know right. saying like I've had enough I can't do I quit so to speak we don't get to see that a lot so I think there was a there was a lot of role reversal and there there were very smart plays on what can be defined as masculine or feminine Thank you so much, Candice. And Michelle, what did you come away thinking of in terms of the representation of masculinity and, you know, especially Ghanaian masculinity compared to the masculinity of, you know, men in Alabama? Yeah, I think for me, it was the, it, it was how um, she treated her two children differently and the comparison between a daughter versus a son and how that was different. And I don't know whether I have any conclusions around it other than it did make me question whether it was the other way around and Gifty was the one with the addiction that would it have been treated differently or Mm. responded to differently? And I also thought the relationship Gifty had with her father versus her um, father's relationship with Nana was also interesting. Absolutely. And did you guys have any thoughts in terms of emasculization or being emasculated rather? Um, because when I think of Nana's dad and, you know, his initial sort of um, treatment in the States, I do, there's often talk just generally about black men being emasculated um, as they move throughout um, society. And I'm interested in if anyone had any thoughts regarding that. Um, let me take that to Candice. Do you know what? I'm here th- with my head on my hand. Be- because that's so common, I didn't even pick up on it. That's not even something I thought about. And now that I've heard you say that, I'm just like, oh my God, yeah. But it's so common, especially right. in in the things that we see and the stories, and not just stories, in the way the, um, the US police brutalise black men. Right. That is such a continuous theme that I didn't even clock that it was in the book. And it pains me to now be sitting here and be like, um, that's so common, I didn't clock that. But yes, of course. Of course, the minute you are, well, in this case, yes, we know they left, but the minute we and they, as in the black man, is taken from the place where they are deemed as the majority and the king, there's a constant rollout of that happening. Because it's like, we are here to remind you that in our space, you are not the in thing what you say doesn't matter and we're not going to respect you as a man, especially not in front of your family. But I I didn't even think about that. This podcast is made in partnership with Bailey's Irish Cream. 
Baileys is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Baileys is the perfect adult treat, whether in coffee, over ice cream or paired with your favourite book. Enjoying the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast? Share the literary love and be part of the future of the Women's Prize Trust by making a one-off donation to support our important work as a charity. Donations of all sizes help us to continue empowering women, regardless of their age, race, nationality or background, to raise their voice and own their story. Search for Support the Women's Prize to find out more. You're listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, a special edition discussing the 2021 Women's Prize shortlist. Our second book is Unsettled Ground by Claire Fuller. Candice, I'm picking on you this time. (laughs) Could you give us a wonderfully eloquent summary of the book? Because I know you're going to do it. Um, How can I do this? (laughs) So we are focused on uh, twins, uh, Jeannie, I think I'm saying her name right. That's how I would say it. Jeannie and Julius. Um, and they are 51 years old and they still live with their mum, Dot. And Dot then just one day just drops down dead. So imagine you're 51 years old. You're still moving in your mind. Like you're, they come like they're 11, 12 sometimes. And then this woman drops dead. And then we start to see that the world Dot has created in this cottage, in this space, is totally different to the outside world. Not just because of like, um, they they they're really poor they're very very poor and everything feels archaic and old school but also because dot is a big bad man liar and i'm furious <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Candace. didn't i say i knew you were gonna body it so i'm like that sounds like eastenders like <laughs> what a sell all right so guys let's get talking about unsettled ground how did you feel about this book michelle Well, I think it's a very sad story. I thought it was interesting because it's not um, an age group that I read about a lot. I guess I must be reading too many like um, books that are in my age range. So and um, as Caleb mentioned earlier, you almost don't know which era you're reading in until the mention of a mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it was a story of... um, extreme codependency to the point of enmeshment where Mm. they almost can't separate themselves out as three individuals and you just get left with a really sad feeling of like almost not even two unlived lives like three unlived lives Mm. and almost like as a warning to like don't just stay in your comfort zone because this is what happens if you get so scared by the world that you don't actually venture into it. Mm. thank you so much now I'd really really like to talk about this book's theme and portrayal of motherhood and family because I mean as per Candice's excellent description it really is quite something and it's quite um I mean I want to hear from you guys so Caleb how do you feel this book portrayed motherhood and family it was like immediately I could I could really see the the author's description and an understanding of what uh, what a mother would do to protect her children, or what a mother would would think is the right way to protect um, their children. Um, at, right at the beginning of the novel, Dot just just drops dead, and 
in in a way the her her death is really she still stays with with both Julius and Jeannie in very in like very real and very visceral ways. Like they they continue to try and keep up with this routine. They continue to try and and stay indoors. Um and in a sense just continue to try and live on as they as they have been taught by her. Um and after her death they, you know, it's only been the three of them, but they draw even closer because it is now just each other that they have. But you begin to see these these cracks as one of them might wander wander off to go and go to the pub or to to go and studious goes to see uh, someone um or when genie is is off kind of like in the shops or in the village you begin to see that the cracks in their relationship as they're exploring these lives that they may have had if they were allowed to emerge from this this sort of safety bubble thank you and something that um, you actually just said, Caleb, um, I'd really like to speak to you, Candice, about it, which is, you know, it very much looks at not just the lengths a mother would go to to protect her children's, but her children, but the lengths a mother might think they should go to, potentially um, mistakenly, potentially leading to them being a, ba- a bad boy liar. Um, <laughs> Candice, <laughs> what do you think of that? Because I think in both books, at least with the mother's mistakes have definitely in some ways potentially been made more so in this book I'd say um very visibly um and I think it's quite interesting to see that nuance of you know seeing mothers that would do anything for their children and for their families but you know kind of I suppose challenging the idea of like perfect motherhood and having to get it all right all the time what were your thoughts on that do you know what this book perfectly outlines when um self-sacrifice is coming but because of shame if dot had um uh i hate these quotes but if dot had like lived her best life or honored her truest self a lot of these lies wouldn't have unraveled because you would have had conviction in who you loved you would have had conviction in telling the truth about the way in which the father died so much of it so this is where the parallels in these two books come for me it's like okay we have to keep our back straight and keep the keep the show up because of shame be it the Mm. shame of the village or the shame of the church Mm. and dots one though it was like borderline insanity because in so many ways especially when it came to I think her name's Jeannie especially when it came to Jeannie's life I felt so sorry for Jeannie Mm. because we get to the end and I'm just like you've lived a life of protection and hiding for absolutely no reason at all Mm. and very quickly and again this is another similarity with these two books in my opinion very quickly I saw a very strong masculine essence come through with Jeannie even though she thinks she's too sick even though she can't read or write there were still quiet moments of her holding it down in a way that Julius just could not manage Mm. and I was like like how unfair is this because you are actually the twin that would have gone clear if Mm. you had been given the liberty to do so or if you hadn't thought that you were too fragile to to go out and live a different life and so this version of motherhood um really upset me and disturbed me because this is the version of motherhood that then cuts everyone else's life short right Mm -hmm. because you're telling these lies to like try and make yourself look perfect but then your own children don't get to live their lives really 
quite sad and quite dark. I could speak about it for hours, to mm. be honest. Absolutely. And I think another parallel is definitely um, one person's death um, sort of shattering an entire mm. family unit in a very specific way that makes it feel like, you know, after, I think it might be been Caddy saying that after Dot's death, the twins very much carried her around with them. And that's the yeah. same thing, I think, with um, Transcendent Kingdom, the idea that after Nana's death, you could feel that weight very heavily um, with with the rest of the family. Um, what do you think about that idea, Michelle? I think it's this idea that we have this conception that you move on from a death, but you don't. Move, you move on with a death, and um, you never really let go of that grief because that love for a person is now connected to grief. So anytime you're recalling or remembering anything about that person that the love comes up but the grief comes up as well and I just thought especially in this book it demonstrates something that I've been thinking about a lot like I've had a lot of loved ones um experience grief this year and the one thing that I didn't know because I hadn't gone through grief personally was like the admin of death that how much work you have to do after someone dies and especially when you confound that in this book with poverty and how like you don't even have enough money to bury someone or bury someone in the way you'd want to bury them um and just small things like she's not cashing the checks because she doesn't have a bank account Mm. that you can you imagine the enormity of the admin of death but then on top of the money worries of not actually being able to do any of those things and then because she's been um enmeshed with her mother so much she almost is still acting like a child in that she can't take on all of these responsibilities and she's now feeling all these big feelings very adult feelings but doesn't almost have the mind to keep up with it so this is quite a big question um and i'm very interested to hear what everyone has to say um Dot's lies and her actions, which were obviously in many ways destructive. Do you guys at all understand why she did what she did? Um, Or do you just (laughs) entirely think it was madness and that she should be cancelled? Let's give that to Caleb. I I'm still trying to understand her her actions and really trying to work out like how I how I feel about the the kind of like various lies that she told that begin to unravel throughout the novel. Um I think, you know, I can I can understand perhaps why um like kind of being so consumed by the grief of, of her husband that it like the only kind of logical thing for her to do was to protect what she had left um, and to really kind of like say like, yo, this is this space that we're in, this space is safe. Um, and if you venture out of that, then you don't know what's going to be on on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that in a couple of instances where where Julius is, is sort of... Um, at the beginnings of some sort of potential relationship with a woman and and Dot kind of will make like a little, will, there's a recollection of a little comment that Dot will make and, and suddenly that 
that idea of relationship is no more. Julius is then back mm. inside, back in the safety, back in the bubble. Um, so I do, yeah, I do think that it was it was primarily a, it was primarily an action that emerged from from grief and wanting to keep mm -hmm. her children safe. Um, but I also think you know at fifty one years old, like this, it's a whole life that these these two people, these twins have not been allowed to lead. Thank you so much. And Michelle, any empathy and understanding <laughs> regarding Doc's actions on your part? Yeah, so I can't, again, I can't switch off my life coach brain, but the thing that came to mind was the Munchausen's, which is, it's called Munchausen's by proxy, which is when you make up an illness for someone you are a caregiver for. And I read a book when I was like I think I was way too young to read this book but I was 15 um called Sickened which is actually a memoir of a child whose mother sent her through so much medical tests for nothing because she just was so convinced she was ill and it is a mental diagnosis so I guess I had sympathy in the fact that she herself was clearly very ill and mm -hmm. And I mean, if you want to remove the diagnosis, then it's just driven by fear, right? It's about mm -hmm. keeping them safe. And um, and so it's kind of that question of how, how much is good intentions making up for the consequences of those good intentions, which frankly, as Caleb said, with that many years of life lost, uh, I don't think good intentions really makes up for that and mm -hmm. the amount of anger that would come with that realization that all of this was a lie I don't think you could ever really resolve that mm. thank you so much Michelle Candice dying to hear what you think <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think everyone be shocked I've got major empathy for it and again that's maybe like the cost of my therapist speaking but you know that old thing you you do better when you know better mm -hmm. dot died not knowing any better mm -hmm. and probably like smothered by fear at that point I do so I do have great empathy for the choices she made it just doesn't take away from I got because I got to the end of that book thinking do you know how many lives we've actually lost mm -hmm. so Julius is shot and like a shadow of his former self. Um, there are, is his name Rawson, like mm -hmm. the, the true love of Dot's life. Um, he's lost the love of his life. So we could say that's a write-off also. We don't really know if Jeannie's going to like get even a quarter of her, her, her life back on track. So I'm like, there've been more losses than just like, oh, people have died. Mm -hmm. And it's that for me, I'm just like, as empathetic as I feel towards Dot's choices, it was grossly selfish, grossly selfish. And I mean, 51, them men are still soon in the queue for the pension, you know? I cannot, no, it's true. <laughs> Even if life begins at 40, they're 10 years old already, <laughs> 11. <laughs> so fair enough, I hear that. Okay, so we're finishing up, guys. Um, this has been fascinating. And we're just going to sort of look a little bit more at the wider theme of motherhood across both books. So we've coupled these titles together under the theme of motherhood. Do you sort of agree with it as a pairing and sort of see that synergy? And if so, why? And I want to ask Michelle. Ask. You know what? Unless, if I'm being honest, if it wasn't 
told to me as under both these themes. I'm not sure I would have put it under both these themes. And I don't know whether it's because I'm not a mother. And so I don't see, do you know what I mean? I don't see mm. motherhood as a theme. I think for me, they if if I were to pair them, it was more, it's more about um disentangling you from um another person. I think this enmeshment thing, this parentification thing, the this that both families didn't re- weren't very good at separating one person's emotions from another um came across. And I think if I had to draw a parallel, it was and I guess I guess this is a motherhood thing, but that everyone's growing up at the same time. And sometimes when you're a child, you don't realize your parents are growing up too at the same time. And so don't always know all the answers and aren't doing the the theme in my head is people trying to do their best but not doing their best. Hmm. I think that actually, yeah, that and codependency, absolutely. I think those are as strong contenders as motherhood is. Um, Candice, as a mother, do you agree with this pairing? And if so, why? Yeah, I, I I do agree with it, but I think you'd have to be a mother to see it. So that's where the awkwardness comes in, because mm. I think on the on the face of both books, it's like death and the unraveling that happens from that. And then I would say that, mo- in my opinion, mothering feels secondary. Mm. But then even so, you're, I wouldn't really say mothering if I perhaps didn't have kids of my own. And so then that thing becomes really clear to me. But once you start to dissect and have a conversation like this, I would say you could pair the two books together. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And Caleb, would you say any of the books changed your opinion on anything? Um, Is there anything you feel differently about now than compared to before you'd read it? I think reading Transcendent Kingdom, there was more of an understanding of the people that my parents were and are and could be as well i think it kind of like as i grow older i'm trying i'm always trying to afford my parents like a humanity and sort of and parents in general especially as especially that kind of immigrant parents um who have come from somewhere to make a home elsewhere and so i think i yeah because of the nuances of of this story and even how sad and how heartbreaking it was at times like I was like there's there's a humanity here that like I'm on a I'm on like a steady journey of and transcendent kingdom only added to that thank you so much guys it has been such a great chat and I have one last question for each of you which is do you have a book that you'd recommend on the theme of motherhood and if so why Michelle uh, so it would be the book you wish your parents had read by Philippa Perry and um, I, I've never read a parenting nonfiction book, but that was the first one that I came across and everyone kept telling me you should read this book, whether you're a mother or not. And it, the part that revolutionized thinking about your relationship with your parents and not just with kids is that you are a reflection of your parents at the age they are bringing you up. So if you've ever felt a disconnection from your parents at like age five, um, it's largely because they felt a disconnection from their parents at age five. And I just thought that was a really amazing idea. And I've never stopped being able to think about, like I keep thinking about it and going back to that idea um, just when I'm doing general life coaching. So I just thought it was a great book. Sounds fascinating. Candice, what book would you recommend on the theme of motherhood and why? 
a book that I stumbled across and thrillers aren't usually my thing but it's called The Push by Ashley Ordrain and basically we are taken down quite a dark road when a woman gives birth to a daughter that she knows from the very beginning is evil it yeah I'll just leave it there <laughs> like I am gagging for book two three four and five because the way she finished it off I was like girl hit me with the second book absolutely oh like, so and that she's done her job perfectly because it is thrilling and it does as a mother make me think um or actually have to admit that yeah you would recognize that you would know that so it's just, it may it put knots in my stomach and it's not a hard read either I do want to take this chance to remind people that you don't have to find a book difficult to read to call yourself a reader unless you're reading something where you need a thesaurus by you like you're not really doing it like it's not every day put that pressure and this book is an easy uh, read and we love an easy read we love an easy breezy beachy read and honestly <laughs> could not agree more I like to understand what, what I'm reading um, <laughs> Caleb finally what book would you recommend I would recommend what we lose by Zinzi Clement um which is a book that I read like probably once a year it's about uh, a woman named Fandi who is from South Africa and has moved to America with her mother who is who is slowly dying and it's told in these like really short sharp fragments that sometimes read more like memoir than fiction but in that way is is really raw and very visceral and presents this kind of like really vulnerable and intimate portrait of a mother and a daughter kind of spending time together at the end of the mother's life brilliant thank you so much caleb and thank you all three for being such brilliant panelists for the show cheers guys thank you thank you thank you I'm Yomiya Degake and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast, brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. Head to our website www.womensprizeforfiction.co.uk where you can discover this year's shortlist of six incredible books. You definitely want to click subscribe because in our next episode we will be speaking with outspoken MP Jess Phillips and discovering the five books that have shaped her. Please rate and review this podcast. It's the easiest way to help spread the word about the female talent you've heard about today. Thanks very much for listening and see you next time. Bye.